The scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 11, which can be found in your pew Bibles on page 909. The promise of the Holy Spirit. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The Ascension. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times nor the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were standing there, gazing into heaven, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Katie, and good morning. My name is Rob Yancey. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at McLean Prez. It is good to see you this morning. Hope you had a wonderful Christmas. We're glad that you're here with us, and we're glad if you are joining us on our live stream. Before we dive into our passage this morning, let me just give you a brief update on our year-end budget realities. We talk a lot about uh, December 31st. We know that has some importance for your tax realities. might be helpful to know that our fiscal year actually ends June 30th. We, we focus on December in some ways, though, because a quarter of our giving comes in during that time. And as of close of business on Friday, we still needed $500,000 to meet our December uh, goal, our December budget projection. And so we just continue to ask you to be in prayer about that. In some ways, that's a large number, but we serve an even bigger God. And so we trust him to provide for all our needs here at McLean. We find ourselves here at the end of the year, and this is a time where often we look ahead. In in these next few days, it's times where we reflect on our hopes and fears for 2019 and where we make some goals and some resolves for what we'd like to plan, what we'd like to accomplish. Um, None of us are privy to what 2019 brings for our lives. It might be uh, a year of great financial and business success. Uh, It might be the year when your body starts to rebel against you and your health starts to deteriorate. It could be the year where you meet Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. Uh, It could be the year where you experience significant loneliness because the loss of a loved one. I don't know what the year ahead brings for you as far as your outward circumstances, but I am very certain about this reality. Your ability to navigate this next year 
faithfully and fruitfully, your ability to have peace in your soul, steadiness on your sunny days and in your storms uh, will be determined largely by your uh, living your life in the three truths that we see in this passage this morning. James said a, a few weeks ago that uh, future is, our future is so certain that it can be written as history. And that, that phrase stuck with me, resonated with me while I was working on the sermon. There's, uh, we're going to be around that notion again this morning. We'll see in our text that the disciples have questions about their future. We're going to look at one of those questions and we're going to hear Jesus' answer. Before we dive in, let's pray. Pray with me. Merciful and loving Father, we submit ourselves to you this morning. We submit ourselves to your word, and we pray that you would give each and every one of us humility. Humility to acknowledge that often we don't know what to do, we don't know what's best, we don't know what to say or how to respond. Would you give us the humility to admit that we need help? We pray this morning that you would be pleased to use your spirit to shed light on your word for us. Would you help us not only to understand it, but to understand what it means for us, what it means for our lives. Would you do this for your glory and by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we're in the final sermon of our Advent series light the way. And for a good part of this series, we've been in the gospel of Luke, uh, especially Luke's first couple chapters. And and we know there in those chapters, he makes it clear that he's writing to a guy named Theophilus. And he's writing so that Theophilus might be certain, might know who Jesus was, might know what Jesus said and what he did. All right, Luke The physician and historian, he writes the gospel, and then he comes and he writes also this second book, the book of Acts. And uh, even this morning, it's been been clear to me. I I know it myself that this past week, in some ways, has been a bit of a blur, right? I mean, I could see it on some of you walking in. uh, I know for certain some of you kids, you have probably played hours of video games this week, all right? No doubt someone in here woke up yesterday morning and was like, am I supposed to go to church today? I don't even know what day it is, right? And uh, I would also imagine that a significant amount of binge watching has been done over the past few days. All right, for those who have been binge watching, let me help you out a little bit. Let me put it in some language that you can understand as we come out of the fuzzy haze of the week after Christmas, all right? Luke chapters 1 and 2, all right? That's kind of like season 1, episode 1, all right? Okay? Acts chapter 1, that's like season 2, episode 1. All right, you with me? You smelling what I'm cooking? All right. Before we get into these, these three truths that we're going to need to navigate 2019, let's get a little bit of the lay of the land, a little bit of our context. We see there, verse 1, he, Luke actually refers back to his previous book. He said, in that book, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up. When he's talking about taken up, he's talking about the ascension. 
It's actually the one event that he refers to in both of these books, the Ascension, an important event. We're going to talk about that later. Now, when it comes to the title, often this book is referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. But in some ways, that title falls short. It's a bit insufficient, right? Because if in the first book, Luke wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach, in the second book, he, he really talks and speaks and writes about all that Jesus continues to do through the Holy Spirit and through his people. So it's, it would really be better to understand this book as the acts of Jesus through the Holy Spirit and through his people. And remember how committed Luke is, Luke the historian. He wants his people to know that this is historical fact, right? In, in the opening chapters of his gospel, he, he talks about eyewitnesses, and he says, I want to give you an orderly account. And here we see in these opening verses, he talks about a resurrected Jesus, a, a resurrected Jesus who presented himself alive to his followers after his suffering by many proofs. All right, you realize that's one of the things that makes Christianity distinctive, that this Jesus we talk about isn't just a teacher. All right, Buddha, he was a teacher. Muhammad, a teacher. Joseph Smith, a teacher. Jesus, yes, a teacher, but so much more. He is one who conquered death. And the way that Luke's laying it out here, he's he's intent on making sure that this resurrected Jesus... um, It's not like the disciples just got up one morning and one of them went out for their morning walk and saw a rustling over in the bushes and saw something and said, hey, um, I think I might have seen Jesus, right? That's not it at all. Jesus isn't the Bigfoot of the ancient Near East with some reported sightings. Okay, no, he was seen in a multitude of ways by a multitude of people, spent 40 days with them, and he he was teaching them. He was imparting knowledge to them. What what was he teaching them about? We see it there in our passage. Verse 3 says that he was speaking about the kingdom of God. Let me ask you this question. If someone asks you this afternoon, hey, could you tell me, uh, I've heard this phrase, the kingdom of God. Well, what's the kingdom of God? If someone asks you that question, what would your response be? All right, let me, let me give you a helpful one from a seminary professor that a number of us here at McLean had, a guy named John Frame. He describes the kingdom of God as God's work in history by which he overcomes all his opponents and establishes his righteousness on earth. God's work throughout history in which he overcomes all his opponents and establishes his righteousness here on earth. Jesus is teaching his followers about what it looks like to see his righteousness and peace come to earth and to move forward throughout the earth. So it's into this context that the disciples, in in verse 6, they ask a question. They say, okay, you're, you're talking about the kingdom. You're talking about the kingdom of God. We've heard all that you have to say. So, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's like you can almost hear the impatience behind that question. Like, okay, is it go time? Right? Is it now? now? Like, we're kind of wanting to know what this means for our life and what this means for the future and what we can expect. Here's our question about the future. What's this going to mean? 
They want to know about the future, and, and we get this, right? Probably few towns and few peoples are more concerned, more obsessed about the future than we here in Washington, D.C. Uh, election ends in 2018, and the very next day, what do we obsess about? The election in 2020. We hang on continuing resolutions. Uh, I'm sorry if it's too soon to talk about this. But we hang on continuing resolutions wondering, is the government going to shut down? Or now that it has shut down, when will it reopen? We worry about the future because it has significant impact on many of our lives. Some of you are young and weary parents, and so you have questions about the future. Like, when in the world am I going to sleep through the night? And some of you... Um, struggle with infertility. And so you wonder, when in the world am I going to have the privilege of sleepless nights because of my child? Some of you are high school seniors and you're wondering uh, what colleges are going to respond to your request to go to their school. And some of you are college students and we're glad you're back visiting with us and you're wondering, what's next after college? Can't I just stay here for another four or five years because this is really awesome? All right. We have questions about the futures. The disciples had questions about the future. Our minds go there often, and we need to hear the answer that Jesus gives to his followers then and to his followers today. It's not an answer they would expect, and it's probably not an answer we would expect at times. The first thing that Jesus' answer provides his followers is direction. He gives them direction. Uh, Notice their questions. There are certain built-in assumptions. They ask Jesus, are you going to do this now? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says, actually, all right, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. And they're kind of consumed with Israel. Yeah, this is is about Israel, right? You're going to do this here in Israel. And he says, no, actually... You're going to be my witnesses, yes, in Israel, in Jerusalem, and and Judea, but also in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus helps them see as far as their question about the future, their expectations are too small. Their, Their vision is too small. He has more in mind for their lives than they realize or understand or can imagine. I also I also love the certainty. You, you will be my witnesses, right? Not, not I'd like you to be my witnesses. Not like, hey, it would be great if you could be my witnesses or if everything works out, you'll be my witnesses. No, you will be my witnesses. If you're a follower of Christ today, that means you're a witness. And look at the places they're called to be witnesses. All right, Jerusalem, this religious epicenter, and by the way, the place where their master was crucified, right? And in Judea, the place where their master was rejected. In Samaria, kind of this looked down upon region of of religious misfits, these people that are, you know, spiritual but not religious, and to the ends of the earth, every place, every people, every worldview, that's where they're called to be witnesses. He gives them direction But then he lets them know, um, if you're going to be my witnesses, you're going to need something more than you have in and of yourselves. You don't have what it takes to do what I'm calling you to do. So he gives them direction, but then he speaks of power, and his answer gives 
to them power. Look at verses 4 and 5. You know, when we think of Jesus, we often think of Jesus saying, go, go, go. But in 4 and 5, Jesus actually orders them to stay put. Don't go anywhere. Stay here until you receive what's been promised, until you receive the Holy Spirit. Again, in verse 8, he he talks, before he gives the marching orders, he says, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. That is, you don't right now have what it takes. And think again about our context. Think again about our our city. Um, Think about how absurd and offensive And actually, kind of horrifying it is to many of our friends and neighbors, this thought that you don't have what it takes. Right? We we live in a city that prizes and idolizes competency, capabilities, achievements. Probably here in our zip codes, there's more terminal degrees than most other places around the world. Amazon obviously thinks we are really awesome, okay, because they gave us one of their headquarters, or at least half of one of their headquarters here, right? And I know some, I know personally by experience that some of you went to very prestigious schools, because if you mention a loss by the North Carolina Tar Heels up front on a Sunday, by the time you get back to the back door at the end of the service and greet people, it's amazing how many Duke University grads there are in our church, Right, prestigious schools, terminal degrees, achievers, competent. To his first followers and to his uh, followers in this uber-competent, uber-capable city, he says, you don't have what it takes in and of yourselves. You need something more. And that's why we're glad, even when we remember what he said before he was crucified in John chapter 16, that, hey, there's going to be this time when I depart, and that's actually better because when I depart, I'm going to send a helper. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to send one that will bring comfort, one that will lead you into all truth, and one that will give you power. All right, this, this third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, all right, we're not talking about like a magical force or a mystical power. We're talking about the person of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that hovered above the waters in creation, the Holy Spirit that rushed upon David when he defeated Goliath, the Holy Spirit that was at the birth or conception of Jesus and at his baptism If you've placed your faith in Christ, the moment that you do that, you receive this person of the Holy Spirit. You receive all you need to do what Christ has called you to do. It gives us direction, power, and this answer also gives us hope. Hope for our future, hope for the disciples' future. In uh, the last scene here, it's quite startling, right? Uh, Jesus finished finishes answering the question of the disciples, and then all of the sudden, it says he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. The disciples stand there as as all this is going down, and then it says that um, a couple guys in white robes show up. That's a common way to describe angels, and the angels ask the disciples, why do you stand looking into heaven? Now, for better or worse, when I come to a passage like this, I'm, I'm tempted to insert myself into the situation, 
Right, all right, so if I imagine myself, if I'm standing there and I am asked this question by the angels, I'm going to be tempted to answer, um, with all due respect, Mr. Bright, shiny man, um, the guy was just talking to us, right? And then all of the sudden, he's going up into the sky. This is a little bit of a unique experience for all of us, all right? And we're, we're still processing it all. But there's something behind the angel's question. Notice uh, there's at least three times when this phrase is repeated, into heaven. They gaze into heaven. Why do you look into heaven? Jesus was taken up into the heaven. Uh, The angels also say he's going to come back the same way. You see, behind the angel's question, there's this gentle rebuke. What the angels are saying with this question is, Hey, it's time to stop looking up in the sky, and it's time to get to work. All right? They're saying, look, listen, Jesus has gone to where he said he was going to go. Jesus has gone to where he reigns in authority. That should give you hope. Jesus is now ruling and reigning all, over all things. That should give you hope. And guess what? Hear us tell you right now that he's coming back. Just the same way you saw him go, he's coming back. That too should give you hope. The angels are kind of saying to them, we're pretty sure Jesus didn't call you guys to be sky scanners. All right, we're pretty sure he called you to be witnesses. You keep looking up there, that's not going to bring him back any sooner. All right, he's going to come back on his own time, a time that the Father has planned. And guess what, guys? You're not on the planning committee, all right? Your job is to be a witness. Your job is to share of this Jesus with more and more people so that they are ready to meet him. Your job is to be on the welcoming committee for the return of this Jesus that will come back. I like to imagine if uh, they were southern angels, at this point they would say, now go on, get. All right? Just try to make sure you're getting it here, people. Um, The disciples have a question about their future. And Jesus gives them direction, gives them power, and he gives them hope. And so as we think about the year in front of us, as we think about, well, what are the consequences for us here in our lives and as a church, what does that mean? I want to suggest to you two things it means for, for you and for me and for the year ahead. One, it means that we are to indeed get to work and that we are to enjoy our rest. We are to get to work and enjoy our rest. I'll start by saying that time and time again, Jesus never seems to have a problem uh, calling people to contradictory realities. Um, you need to come and die that you might live. You need, to, you need to give that you might receive. There's no uh, contradiction between calling people to work and calling people to rest in the mind of Jesus. When we think about this work, uh, to live into our calling as witnesses, it's twofold, twofold, right? It's about seeing Jesus and about speaking of Jesus. Seeing Jesus and speaking of him. So we need to be those that, that see him. Remember, the disciples were those that had indeed seen, spent time with him, heard what he said, saw what he did. If we want to put it in the language of our Advent series, Light the Way, they were those that saw the light. 
that were transformed by the light. And then Jesus says, go and spread the light, share the light. So, so let me ask you, what's your plan to see the light, to see Jesus, to spend time with him in 2019? You realize you are, you're, you're transformed by what you look at and you share what you look at. All right, I imagine some of us uh, uh, are tempted to gaze again and again, uh, much to our horror over the past month, at our stocks and our portfolios, right? Our, our eyes go there, in some ways because our heart is connected to, to go there, and we look at it, it, it affects us, and some, we often find ourselves talking about it. The same could be said of any number of things, of video games, of college sports, these things that we look at that transform us and then we talk about um, if we hope to be a witness out there in our high schools, in our colleges, in our workplaces, we have to be first those that are seeing Jesus and spending time with him. If we don't, we have no hope of being a witness out there. So 2019, January 1st, what's your plan? If you don't have a plan, you're planning to fail. Let me encourage you that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's lots of great plans out there. We'll email some later this week as a part of our weekly email. But the second part of witnessing is sharing. After you've seen and after you've experienced, it's not to just kind of end in this cul-de-sac of your life, but it's to move through you and you share about those things that matter to you, that transform you. So what's your plan to share, to witness about what Christ has done in your life? Do you have one way that you could do this in the new year? Maybe it's a conversation at work about something that stuck out to you at a Christmas service. Maybe it's inviting a friend to church for the first time. Maybe it's going to your office and working in such a way that people see that there's something different about you. I'm reminded of the lady that um, actually started attending church. Uh, She told the story that, Uh, She had gone into work, and she had messed up royally. And then her boss, her boss actually took took the blame for it. All right, her boss actually kind of gave her some cover. And then she went to to ask him, like, hey, um, you didn't have to do that. Why why did you do that? Uh, And he was like, well, because I have, I kind of have the work capital, I have the experience, like I knew that I could absorb that and and you would be all right. And she said, yeah, I know. Uh, Those things are true, but still, why would you use your capital? Why would you use your protection for me? It was an opportunity for him to, to be a witness of one who had used his capital for him, who had taken his blame on himself and to share about this Jesus. And that's why this lady said, well, I want to go to this church and find out more about what this is all about. I don't know the way that God is calling you to be a witness, but I know if you're a follower of Christ, you are called to be a witness, whether it's in your home as a stay-at-home parent, whether it's in the workplace, your neighborhood, your school. We have a plan to get to work as a church. You hear us talk about it often, that the three big rocks, right, that we want to continue building disciples that make a difference. That's our plan for this next year to, to, to get to work. We, we want to, the, the second big rock is that we're going to start this new site in Fairfax. I promise you no one's more excited about that than I am. We look forward to sharing a lot with you about that in the next month or so. But we're going to Fairfax. 
We want to be a people that see Jesus and share Jesus. Uh, that, that's our prayer, that we would grow in breadth. And, and, and the third rock is that we're going to build here. We're going to have some building improvements, not because bigger is better. Please hear that. The only reason we would build is because our family has grown, and we want to be better equipped to help all of us see and share Jesus, our kids, our teenagers, and everyone else. So we're called to get to work, and finally, we are called to rest. How in the world can I call you to work and to rest? It's because I've read the opening chapter of the book of Revelation where John, one of the first witnesses, writes this about his Savior starting in verse 5. He says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Um, I can call you to rest. We can rest this morning because Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. We talked about the kingdom of God. We talked about it, its advancing. And we need to be real clear about this, that the success of the kingdom of God advancing, that the hope of it advancing, that the surety of it advancing, rests in one place and one place alone, and that's in Jesus Christ. All right, it doesn't rest on you and me and our abilities and our achievements so, so, so we can have peace and know that actually no, this rests on Christ, the faithful witness. He's the faithful witness for all the times that we've been unfaithful witnesses. I also love how John in that passage can speak with such transcendence about the greatness of Jesus and then he can speak intimately about this Jesus that loves us and freed us. You know why he can write that way? Because he's experienced it. It's been personal to him. Have you experienced that love and that freedom? This morning is a great morning to do that. Finally, we can rest in Jesus. Because we can look back and we can take courage of all that's happened since he gave these first instructions to his disciples. Right? He said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and we read the book of Acts and we know that's exactly what they did. That's exactly what happened. And when it comes to the ends of the earth, we know that indeed the gospel has gone to countries and tribes and places all around this world. Actually, in spite of fierce opposition by entire empires, brutal totalitarians, and even the communist government today in China. There are still faithful men and women empowered by the Holy Spirit that take the gospel forward. So 2019, your life, my life. Lots of uncertainties, but here's what's certain. Our God's given us direction. He's called us to be witnesses. He's given us power. He's given us his spirit to, to ask for help and to depend on. And he's given us hope. Hope that Christ is at work in us and Christ will finish his work and bring it to completion. So pray with me. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for the direction that it brings. That at the beginning of a new year, 
regardless of where we are in life, in our sufferings and our success, we can give witness to who you are and what you've done for us and what you've promised to do. Would you give us power, the power of your Spirit? Help us to be a dependent people. Help us to begin day after day this year with asking for the Spirit's help to see and share you this day. And give us hope. Hope as we begin a new year to know that regardless of what the score in our life might look like, whether we feel like we're behind or we're losing, that in Christ we will win in the end. That united to Him we have His victory. It's in His name we pray. Amen.